Do you ever start getting interested in what does it say next um, when you're reading scripture? Sometimes it's hard and it it just hits you and it, it convicts us um, sometimes when we read things. And then other times we just want to, there's so many questions about everything that you just want to find out what does it say? And that's somehow sometimes how I feel when I start reading and even like multiple times because every time you read something you actually get more from it Um, it's amazing the longer you read and even people who have been reading scripture way longer than I have say the same thing that there's always something new to discover so you never know what's going to come so in starting chapter 4 well 1 Corinthians chapter 4 I want to say a prayer to God that he is with us on this Bible study and that he brings to mind things that would be good to communicate to whomever might listen to this in the future and just point out things that maybe I haven't seen before in the past. So getting back to scripture, dear God, um, please show us what you want us to reveal to us, what you want us to know. In Jesus' name, amen. The Nature of True Apostleship Chapter 4 This, then, is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with mysteries that God has revealed. Now Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that there, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, n- judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign. And that? Without us, how I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ. But you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. 
to this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to, to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the, if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline? Or shall I come in love with a gentle spirit? Chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even pagan pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud? Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Okay, that's interesting, because that just hit me right there. So he's saying, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. That's really interesting because, um, yeah, I'm going to have to contemplate on that one because, um, so this man is immorally behaving and he's in the church of believers. Nobody's confronted him. So they're saying, hand, so Paul's saying, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. So he's going to turn him over to Satan, and Satan's going to destroy this guy so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. So is Paul saying, turn this guy over to Satan because Satan's going to completely destroy this guy so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Sometimes it takes hitting rock bottom bottom for people, but it looks like 
Paul is saying to the church, you've been letting this guy do this and you're not saying anything about it. You haven't thrown him out. So he thinks he's part of the church. He thinks he's okay. He thinks he's good. Throw him out. Have him go out. Have him see what it's like. Then maybe his spirit will be saved on the day of the Lord. So that's just something to think about. Um, to think about what Paul was meaning by that. But that's what, as I read over that verse, I was like, oh, what does that mean? And as I was just thinking about it, that's what came to mind. So do you agree with that? Getting back to scripture. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, but not the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This is getting back to there's fake Christians out there. Just because they go through the actions and they do all these things, if somebody has unrepentant sin, they're not in Christ. If you're not in Christ, how can you be saved? That's my, um, that's my belief from scripture. So I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not meaning all, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers are idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Now that is consistent with the Old Testament because that's, I I had a hard time understanding why I thought, well, does God discriminate against people? Because he was always telling the Israelites, do not marry a foreign woman. And, and I was like, why, why is that so important when I first read the Bible, when I didn't know anything? And then I realized that the whole purpose was behind it. The whole purpose that God had, it had nothing to do with race or anything like sometimes our world likes to turn it into. It had nothing to do with that. It was because other areas were worshiping foreign gods. They were heavy into idolatry. And idolatry separates people from God. And so often there are examples throughout scripture about men who pursued a passion and then were turned away from God. I mean, Solomon was a great story. If you read about him and all of the different wives that he had, and he had these, um, I think he even had a a wife from Egypt that he built a, a separate like temple for her, for her God. Um, because it wasn't like on the Temple Mount. I don't know. There was, 
I remember him having to build her something separate because she did not worship the same God, but yet he was tying himself to her as his wife. And I don't really know the end result of what happened with Solomon, but it didn't sound like it was really very good. Um, Even though he built the temple, I don't know how it turned. I mean, we'll find out in the end, but um, with all of his, the things that he did, I'd have to look back. And and the other thing is, it's not our place to judge. We do not want to judge. And I don't, I'm just curious if it says um, like how it ended up, because on one hand, like Nebuchadnezzar was not a good person and he did a lot of really bad things. But as you read about it, like at one point he was so prideful that God gave him the mind of a donkey and he went out and told him he was, he told Nebuchadnezzar that uh, he was going to be like a wild donkey and eat grass and like crazed out of his mind. And when he finally uh, put God in his, in the priority that he, he is, then, um, things were restored. And then Nebuchadnezzar believed in God and, um, saw the wrongness of the way he had been. So I think Nebuchadnezzar was saved from what it says in scripture. I'm not really sure about Solomon, even though he did great things in the Bible. So, um, it's just something that I have to study a little bit more, obviously, but um, the thing is, there are there are fake people around us everywhere, and some are some are real and some are fake. And the important part is to develop a discernment and to pray to God that we are led by His Spirit, and that we can discern who's fake, who's real, and to follow the truth because there is only one truth but there's lots of people presenting that quote their truth is true and in our world i mean it's really getting confusing especially for children these days because truth is getting distorted in a way i've never seen my entire life and i can't believe it's like everything went crazy ever since 2020 in my mind I just see the world so differently than I did in 2020. I read the Bible in 2019, and then right after that, everything went crazy. And I, I'm thankful to God that I read the Bible because it put a lot of things in perspective. Okay, getting back to Scripture, chapter 6. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment? instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, Do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned by the church? I say this, I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another brother to court, and this in front of unbelievers? I mean, that's a great point that Paul's making here is that, you know, it's, it goes for advice too. How often in our life do we 
seek out someone to give us advice or even online, like somebody who's a great speaker and has a bunch of followers and is really charismatic. And, and so you see it and he appears wise. So then you're like, Oh, I like what this guy says. I'm going to listen to his advice. What if I live my life this way? Or if I do this, that's got to be the secret. That's got to be the key. And I see so many people doing that. And I used to do that too. I used to like, just, you know, discover other people out there. And then, wow, that's kind of cool what they have. And then, you know, you pay attention to what they have. That makes sense. And it's foolishness because it's all in scripture. It's all in the Bible. You don't need all that stuff. And so many of those other people, as I dug in deeper, especially after reading the Bible, and I started finding out some of the beliefs that these people have that are these huge like motivational speakers. And they don't know God. And that's really scary. So if they don't know God, and they're directing, it's not a safe way to follow for sure. Because wide is the path that leads to destruction. And narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. Jesus is the way the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So we need our advice in our from scripture we need we need mentors who have a biblical understanding of scripture who understand scripture who can provide guidance to people that need advice at different points in their life but base it on scripture and give advice based on the knowledge of scripture well what does scripture say about that situation what's the way to handle it through scripture, because scripture will have the answers. What if that's the way all counseling, all therapy came about was through scripture? What does scripture say about it? Because I found out through other people who were godly led that scripture does have an answer for everything in our life. And why take our disputes, our issues in front of someone who is unsaved? who is a non-believer, do you think they're going to judge with righteousness? Do you think they could, they could perhaps, maybe they will be saved someday, but it's a lot riskier. But what if you take your issue in front of a person or a couple people or three people who you know are believers because you can tell that they are believers because they live their life according to God's command. They are obedient to God. They are close to God. They pray. They read scripture. They understand. They have wisdom from God, not manly, worldly wisdom, but God's wisdom, the spirit. They are guided by the spirit. Those are the people that need to guide our lives. I mean, first of all, get it from scripture. If you have if you can't find it in scripture, then go to somebody else. But first, go to scripture. Pray to God. Go to scripture. And then if you're struggling with it still, then go seek the advice of a true believer, a true Christian. Getting back to scripture. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. 
Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That is a really important paragraph. And that is a really important paragraph in our world that gets people canceled. And nobody wants to hear it. But you know what? It has something for probably everyone. And one of the things that Paul says, and that is what some of you were. Notice, he's talking to believers. That means, and we all know it, everybody's a sinner. Everybody has had this past. When somebody comes to God, most often, it's usually when everything else has been exhausted, which is sad, but that's the way it works with a lot of people, is they hit rock bottom, and they need, they don't have anything else. They're at the end of their rope, and they're finally reaching, okay, what else do I have? Well, I guess I have God, and I'm going to call out to God. I don't know him, but I'm going to call out on him. And that's a lot of people do. But that's a good thing. That's a good thing. God wants that. You know, if it takes that, and I think actually along the way, they probably had a lot of soft reach outs from God, but they didn't accept them. They turned them down. And then eventually God just said, okay, go ahead, have it your own way. Just like uh, Paul was saying, about that sexually immoral guy that was in the church, like send him out to uh, Satan for the destruction of the, of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Well, Paul's hitting that again because he's saying that these wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you not know? Do not be deceived. So don't, don't be deceived. These people are not going to be there. And that's something we all have to take a look at and look at our lives. Do we fit any of those descriptions? Is that is that us? Do we want to be in God's kingdom? Is it worth it for us to take a hard look at it and to do something different in our life? If we're like so filled with evil, with sin, that we've or like, well, there's no way I'm going to be able to stop that. That's not true. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. With God's Spirit, all it takes is a surrender to God and a humbling of ourselves to say, yeah, no, I can't do this all myself. I need help. God, help me. That's what it takes. Because if we go through this list, I can see a lot of this in our world in probably ourselves and probably people we know and probably our good friends. Think about it. You go through this whole list of stuff. How many people, I bet anybody who's listening to this can think about someone, at least one person, someone who fits 
one of these descriptions because these are the people who will not be in the kingdom of God. And it says, don't be deceived. Pretty important to know about that. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. God saves. But here's the good news. But you were washed. You were sanctified. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by by the Spirit of our God. So our belief in Jesus that he died on the cross to save us from all that crap that we were doing before we surrender to Jesus and ask for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, it's the power of God that sanctifies us. But Jesus is the way. So that hopefully, if you don't already understand or see that, that you are seeing that, that you, the words, like when you hear those words repeated over and over, half the time, we don't even know what the pastor, the priest, whatever is talking about, because we just hear these words and they just go over and over and we don't really grasp the meaning of all that. So it it took me a long time to grasp it. I didn't quite get it. I get it now. I understand. And it's, it's a process. And all it takes is a heart that wants to turn towards God. And then God works with us. And Jesus made it possible. If Jesus didn't die on the cross and rise, we wouldn't, we'd just be slated for death or slaughter. I mean, that's, that's our destiny. But that's why it means Jesus saved us because he reached out and he's like, I got this for you, but you have to do something. You have to prepare yourself. You have to, you have to believe what Jesus said. You have to humble yourself to know that you're not going to do it on your own, that this is something way beyond your ability to make happen. You need God. And then you have to ask God to help you. That's all it takes. And then God starts working in you slowly. Things start changing. Getting back to scripture. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the member of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. 
all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Chapter 7 Concerning Married Life Now for the matters you wrote about. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Just as God has called them, this is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, 
do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the, is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called in Christ is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Now about virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of this present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. For those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use things of the world as if it, if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am not saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the manner in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry does her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wish, wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God.